This week I want to talk about this idea. The idea that says God wants you to be rich. Anybody ever heard that before? That God wants you to be rich. You know, and it's kind of this idea that above all else, that among the, the purposes and the plans that God has for our life, that he wants us to be rich. The question is, is that God never said that? Or did he? I think it really depends on what our definition of rich is. How we define it. I was thinking about that. Like, who defines rich? What constitutes as rich? Where could we, we could look and say, okay, now that I'm rich, how much money would you have to make? Just a little bit more. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Because if I were to ask you here, it's like, how many of you consider yourself rich? Probably, okay, that's cool. All right. How many of you say, I wouldn't mind to be a little more financially rich? Everybody should raise your hand because that's the truth, right? I think that, that statement was best. Just a little bit more. If I could make just a little bit more. But rich, it's hard to define. It's almost like a moving target. You know, uh, let me ask you this, if I can get some audience participation. If you'd be willing to, this is just in the realm of finances, shout out a number that you think you'd be rich. If you could have this amount of money or make this amount of money, just shout it out. You can talk in church today. One million dollars. Anybody else? Huh? Ten million dollars. Okay. All right. Let's do one more. A hundred million. It just keeps going up. Okay. All right. So, yeah, and you can see it's different. Million, hundred million, billion, right? Quintillion, whatever. Uh, Gallup did a poll, right? That's what Gallup does. They do polls. And they ask people this question. How much money would you have to make in order to be rich? So they, they broke it down by uh, income level. And they asked people who made um, $30,000 a year. They said, okay, how much would you have to make a year to be rich? And they said, oh, if we could just, the, the, the number they agreed on uh, after all the surveys were in was $74,000. If we could just make $74,000 a year, then we'd be rich. Then they asked people who made $50,000 a year, how much money would you have to make to be rich? Oh, if we could just make $100,000 a year, then we'd be rich. Then they asked the top income uh, earners, that's, you know, like $100,000 and above, how much in assets would you have to have to be rich? And they said, $5 million. And then they kept going up, and the number kept going up, because rich is what? It's a moving target. And if God wants us to be rich, and we don't know how to define rich, then how would we know when God has made us rich, financially speaking? How much money would God have to give you for you to say, okay, God fulfilled his promise for me to be rich? How much money would it be? I don't, I don't really know. I haven't figured it out, because I don't really know what my definition of rich is. What I'd like to do today, if it's okay with you, is I'd like to give you and us a working definition of rich. Is that okay? We're going we're gonna to use this working definition of rich. And since we can't agree on a number, okay, we can't agree on uh, a yearly income, we're going we're gonna to use this as a definition of rich today. If you're taking notes, you can fill it out. Here's what rich is. Rich is having more than enough. That's what we're going to agree on. At least I'm going to think you agree with me, okay? That rich is having more than enough. More than enough of anything. How much is enough? I don't know. But it's having more than enough. I want to read to you a passage of scripture that comes from Timothy. This is uh, Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And this will be our foundation for uh, what we talk about today. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
I think from the very beginning of this passage of Scripture, there's something that we have to define. Because Paul tells Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. Rich in this present world. Not rich in the world to come. Not rich in spiritual blessings. Not rich in, in love for God. But rich in this present world. So then that is, begs the question, who is he talking to? Who are the ones who are rich in this present world? Is he talking to Bill Gates? Is he talking to Michael Jordan? Is he talking to celebrities and CEOs of corporations? Who is he talking to? And you say, what does it matter? I think it matters so much because if we think that he's only talking to the Bill Gates of the world, the Michael Jordans of the world, the the, uh, CEOs of the world, the multinational companies, then what we can do is say, well, Paul is not really talking to you and I, right? I mean, unless you are on those levels, then that's cool. And if you are, let me know. I'd love to meet you after service. But if he's talking to a larger group of people, then I think we really have to pay attention. That's why we have to define who is rich in this present world. So the definition of rich is what? Having more than enough. I want to I provide a, a, a context for you today, and I want to offer something up. I want to offer this, and then I'll talk about the context. I want to offer that you and I are who he's talking to. That we are the ones who are rich in this present world. Here's some context, okay? In comparison to the rest of the world, because that's what the Scripture's talking about here, the present world. If you make $33,000 a year, whether individually or combined, get this, you are in the top 1% of income earners in the world. In the world, not in America, but in the world. Okay? If you make $80,000 a year, combined or individual, you are in the top 0.1% of income earners in the world. 0.1%. If you own a car, you are in the top 3% of the world. If you own two cars, I don't know what that percentage is, you're even more. If you can reach in your pocket at any given point in time and pull out spare change, meaning it's not allocated for something, you don't really need it for something, you have more than enough. If you can walk down the street and see a penny, a nickel, and a dime and think about whether or not you need to pick it up, because if it's a quarter, you don't have to think about it, right? A quarter is worth picking up. Every day of the week and twice on Sunday. A penny? Nah. A nickel? Maybe. A dime? Do I need it as I walk into the store? Maybe not. Quarter? No question. If you can walk past that, you have more than enough. I would say this, and I know what you're thinking. Well, Josh, it doesn't really matter. I may make X amount of dollars, but you don't understand my situation. I I get it. And I feel the same way you do. But if we look at it in comparison with the present world in which we live, the opportunities that we have, we have more than enough. I would even go so far as this. If you can, if it's tight, because I've been tight. I mean, I've been so tight, you know, the buttons are going to pop off the shirt, right? Tight. And you can still afford after all the bills are paid and you don't really know how you're going to pay everything else, but you can still go to McDonald's and get a meal for yourself. You are rich in comparison to the world. The hard part is this. Nobody likes to admit that they're rich. Number one, because we can't define it in in monetary terms. But if we do define it as rich as having more than enough, then we make this statement, I don't feel rich. Anybody, can you agree with that? I don't feel rich. I want to submit this to you today. Here's part of the reason why you and I don't feel rich. is because we consume everything that God gives us. Say that again. 
Part of the reason why we don't feel rich is because we consume everything that God gives us. Paul tells Timothy, command those who are rich in this world. And then he goes on and gives them some things. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. I love this. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So if we're going to be rich in this world, number one, we need to understand that God doesn't have a problem with rich. God has a problem with money having you and I, but God doesn't have a problem with us having money. We need to understand that, okay? But we have to see, number one, that God ultimately provides us with everything, right? He is our sole provider. That's what Paul said here, and we see it throughout Scripture. He richly provides everything for our enjoyment. But you know what our enjoyment doesn't mean? Our enjoyment doesn't mean that we get to consume everything that he gives us. Our enjoyment doesn't mean that we get to build a kingdom for ourselves and store up treasures for ourselves and only prosper ourselves. No, part of the enjoyment that God gives us things and resources and money for is to bless other people, is to help other people prosper. And Paul says this, hey, if you're rich in this world, and I want all of us to understand that I'm talking about us right now, we are rich in this world. Not to be arrogant, which I don't think many of us have a problem with. We don't, if we don't consider ourselves financially rich, we're probably not arrogant. But here's where we struggle. Not to put your hope in riches. Not to put your hope in money. Why? Because it's so uncertain. Instead, put your hope in God who richly provides. That's what he says. And he's going to go on and give us a few more things of what we're going to do. And that's what I want to talk about. So if we're going to be rich in this world which we are, we can no longer consume everything that God gives us because it's not ours. And we have to come to the reality that sometimes we're just bad at being rich, partially because we don't think that we're rich. We don't believe that we're rich. We don't see ourselves that way. Why? Because the definition of rich that we have in our mind is what culture has told us. That it's having a particular amount. That it's living an, an opulent lifestyle. That it's getting things for our own enjoyment. I'm rich when I can have this kind of house and have this kind of car and go on this kind of vacation and wear these kind of clothes where I'll, I'll never have another worry about finances ever again. Then I will be rich. And because that's our definition of rich, then we don't see ourselves as rich and we don't think the scripture applies to us. Therefore, we're bad at being rich and we're consuming everything God gives us to try to be rich, which isn't how God defined rich. And then we're just frustrated because we find ourselves pursuing a goal in life, a lifestyle that God never intended. Because Jesus made this crazy statement. It's recorded in the book of Acts. He said, it's much better to give than to what? Receive. And at first glance, you're like, I don't know if I agree with that. I like getting. Anybody like getting? Anybody like receiving? I mean, don't give me the churching answer, okay? You can give me the how you feel answer. It's so much fun to get gifts. But Jesus says, oh man, there is such a greater joy in giving. That life is, is fulfillment when we give. So I said at the beginning, God wants you to be rich. He never said that, or did he? And depending on your definition of rich, if it's having more than enough, then yes, I believe he did say that he wants us to be rich. He himself said that he is more than enough that he richly provides everything for our enjoyment, that he provides every single one of our needs according to his riches and glory, which are in Christ Jesus, that if we're Christ's followers, he said, I've never seen the righteous, those who, who follow me, 
forsaken or their seed begging for bread. God provides and God does give us more than enough, but there's a purpose and a responsibility with it. And what I want to give you today is three things, three key areas where I believe God wants us to be rich. How? It's like how to be rich, okay? These are three things, how to be rich, based off of the passage of Scripture that we started with. Here's the first. First is that God wants us to be rich in good deeds. You can write that down. God wants us to be rich in good deeds. Here's what Paul said in, in 1 Timothy 6.18. Command them, who those who are rich, who are that? Who are they? Us, okay? You're getting it. To do good and to be rich in good deeds. Command those who are rich in this world to do good and be rich in good deeds. What, is, what does good mean here? Good means beautiful. It means excellent. It means honorable. It means admirable. It means commendable. It means noble. To have more than enough of good deeds in life. God wants to have more. What are deeds? Actions. Things that we do for other people. Things that we do in life. God wants us to be rich in, in actions that are noble, excellent, commendable, and admirable. He wants us to have more than enough of good actions in our life. Toward who? Other people. God wants us to do things for other people. Why? Because he's done so much for us. That Jesus Christ is an overpayment for you and I. He is more than enough. It's not just forgiveness for sins, which is huge, but it's healing, it's provision, it's compassion, it is forgiveness, it is wisdom, it is all that we need. Paul said it is in Jesus that we live and we move and we have our being. He is more than enough. He is an oversupply and he fills us so that it will go through us to other people. Not so that we can build a reservoir tank And when that gets full, build another reservoir tank. And when that gets full, build another reservoir tank and just keep filling it up and hoarding for ourselves. No, a hoarding mentality does not work within the kingdom of God. It's to help other people. So I think what this looks like is this. What Paul is saying, what God is saying to us, I want you to find a need and I want you to meet a need. Find needs and meet them. Don't just be aware of them. Meet the needs of people around you. Be on the prowl to see how people are hurting and help them. And guess what? Don't ever expect anything in return. Don't help people so they'll help you. Don't do something for somebody so down the road you can cash in a favor and say, hey, you remember when so and that happened and I I did this? Well, I need help, so I think you should help me. No, no, no. I'm going to do it for you because God did it for me and I just want to be rich in good deeds. What's that look like? Pay a bill for somebody if you can. They need gas in their car, and they can't afford it. Put gas in their car. Well, I don't have a lot of money. Hey, you know a couple that, that has their, have little kids, and they don't live around family, and you can tell they're about ready to put their heads through the wall, and they just need a break from their kids? Come on, somebody. Why don't you say, hey, here's, here's, here's some 20 bucks. I'll watch your kids for free. You guys go out and have a good time. Get your sanity back. Fall, you know, look at each other. Tell each other that you love each other, and we'll just, we'll just love your kids for you while you go on a date. That doesn't cost you anything. Well, I don't have money to give them. That's cool. You will give them way more than they could ever uh, quantify in dollar amount, but just by watching their kids and letting them go on a date. You see that somebody, your neighbor's sick and they were in the hospital in their yard that just the grass is growing and instead of getting mad about it, why don't you go over and cut it for them? And then clean up the clippings. I remember one time this lady, single mom, lived by Lauren and I. We lived in a, in a duplex and uh, I could, her grass was just growing and I could just, I was watching. She was running, you know, like a chicken with her head cut off and and uh, I had made the decision, you know, I'm going to go cut her grass for her. Well, the neighbor cut her grass. And I thought, oh, man, what a nice guy. 
bundled up all of the clippings and dumped them in the middle of her yard, piled them high. And I went over there to clean them up, and he said, what are you cleaning them up for? She should have done that. I said, because she's a single mom and she needs help, and you're a jerk. I didn't say that part, but I wanted to. (laughs) So I cleaned them up, and then I knocked on her door a couple weeks later, and I said, hey, I just want to let you know, if it's okay with you, you might see me in your yard. I I just want to mow your grass for you. And she said, oh, I'd appreciate that. Guess what? She never, ever said thank you. She never came out and said, oh, man, I appreciate this so much. It was just one less thing that she had to worry about. Find a need and meet a need. Be rich in good deeds. Be aware of how people are acting around you and ask the Holy Spirit to help you see through the behavior that's driving you nuts to see the hurt in their heart or the stress that they're dealing with and be rich in good deeds. You say, well, I don't have more than enough money. Well, you got more than enough something. We've always got more than enough of something that someone has a deficit in that we can help. We can do that. You say, well, well, what is the result of this? What is the result of me being rich in good deeds? I'm so glad you asked. So um, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. This is what Peter is writing to Christ followers. He says, look, live such good lives among the pagans. Who are the pagans? People who don't know Jesus. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Paul says, hey, as Christ, or Peter says, hey, as Christ followers, we need to leave, lead such good lives, live such good lives that people who don't believe in Jesus, although they may criticize us, although they may not agree with us, they will see our actions and it will cause them to glorify God on the day he visits. What does that mean? It means that the way we live, the actions that we take, reveal Christ to people. You want to know what Peter's saying? Your actions speak louder than your words. He's saying put up or shut up is what he's saying. You know the problem we have in the church sometimes is we love to run our mouths, but we don't like to equal it with our actions. We love to get up and preach and criticize and condemn the world for everything they're doing and get mad at our neighbors that they don't believe in Jesus and then we expect them to, to act like Jesus even though they don't believe in Jesus and so we get mad and we just we pray against them, we complain against them, but we never walk across the street and cut their grass or, or be rich in good deeds that our actions need to be greater than our words. I think this, that sometimes maybe we need to do a little less preaching and a little more reaching little less preaching and a little more reaching out. You can finish that clap. That was a good one. Reach out and people will see Christ revealed in our lives. Here's, listen to this. This is what John says. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. He says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's good to talk, but hey, we need to love with action and in truth. Let us not just love with words and speech. Sometimes we think we're loving people by telling them about Jesus, and we are, but hey, let's complement that. Let's let's couple that with action and truth. So when we are rich in good deeds, it reveals Christ to people, and even more than that, it impacts eternity. It impacts eternity, and that's what this is all about. We are not living this life for this life alone. We are living this life because we know there is a life beyond That's why Jesus, when talking about money in Matthew chapter 6, said, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven because we will live eternally. This is all temporary. Be a good steward. Save money. 
Do all those things, but don't hoard it. Don't make the great purpose of your life building a kingdom and a, and a, 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 and a mass of wealth unto yourself. Give. That leads us to the next point. First one was we're going to be rich. God wants us to be rich in good deeds. Here's the second thing God wants us to be rich in. God wants us to be rich in generosity. Rich in generosity. Here's what the continuation of, of 1 Timothy 6.18 says. Dot, dot, dot. And to be generous and willing to share. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. What does generous mean? It means that you are inclined and free to give. What does willing to share mean? It means the same exact thing, that you are inclined to impart and that you freely give. It's like what Paul is saying is the same thing twice. I want you to be generous, and then I want you to be willing to be generous. He's emphatic about this. What Paul is, is, is saying is, is so much more than just doing generous things. I don't want you to just do generous acts. I want you to be a generous person. It is the attitude and the heart or the spirit behind being generous. I want this to come out of a place of you that is authentic and that is real, that it's not just a matter of obedience. It needs to start with obedience. But that obedience will, will begin to change your heart because that's what happened when you became a Christ follower. Your heart began to change and you received the most generous thing that you could ever receive, which is the gift of salvation, the gift of grace. Therefore, that will make you into a generous person. And that's when we come back to when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, he was right because it is more fun to give than to receive. Paul would write in Corinthians, he would say this, that God wants a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is, the, is where we get our English word hilarious. That God wants a hilarious giver. That when you give, it's so much fun that you just want to burst out in laughter and enjoy. And you're like, well, that ain't how I look at life right now. Well, I know because in our culture, that just is not how we're raised. We're not raised that, that generosity is key. We're raised that consumption is key. We consume, we conquer, we hoard, we hold on to. God says, I bless you. I give you more than you could ever imagine. I give you more than enough, and I want, you to, I want it to flow through you. And the only way you're going to experience the joy of giving is by doing it. It's not sitting and praying, saying, God, make me generous, make me generous, make me generous. No, you got to open your hand and let it flow through you. you got to feel it leave you. you got to suffer the grief of not having what you had anymore and give it to somebody else and grit your teeth and say, God, I don't want to do this, you know, and you just be generous. And then pretty soon it's like, whoa, that is so much better because that sat in my closet for years. Or, or my hope and my trust was in riches and guess what i have not been happy or satisfied or fulfilled with no amount of, with whatever amount of money in the bank and when you give you're generous it doesn't have to just be money be your time be the talent that god gave you the junk sitting around your house that could be someone else's treasure that you don't need that you thought you needed or you could just give and be generous it'll change your life how do you know that because here's what proverbs chapter 11 verse 25 says it says this, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Every time I go on a missions trip, or I, I lead a missions trip, I should say, and, and I've led a number of those, the first night that we gather as a group and we have a, a, a devotion, I use the scripture invariably. If you've been on more than one trip with me, you're probably, you know what I'm going to say. He who refreshes others, will he himself also, also be refreshed. A generous person will prosper. What that means is, is this. Like on a missions trip context, if you've been on one, you pay to go, 
all right? You have to take off a week of work, maybe 10 days of your vacation time. You have to get on a plane early in the morning and fly down and, and go to a foreign place and, and be uncomfortable. Maybe you don't like the food and they don't have air conditioning and the bed is hard and the dogs are barking and chickens are, are, are crowing at night and you, you forgot your earplugs and so you're sweating, you can't sleep and you're like, why in the world did I come? Okay? And it seems like you just wasted your time. And you're going to get up and we're going to work and it's going to be, it's going to be great. But what happens is, is in the kingdom of God, when, you, when you're generous when you refresh other people and maybe you feel the exhaustion and the discomfort of that, you will be refreshed in the process. Every time. I can, I can bring up people who've been on trips and they can say, were you tired at the end? Yeah, but, but what about, I feel energized. I feel refocused. I feel like God did something in me. Why? Because you were generous and you came down here for the sole purpose of refreshing someone else and it just refreshed you more than you ever thought possible. There is something within the kingdom of God that we call reciprocity. Reciprocity. It is reciprocal. Reciprocity is the fundamental uh, aspect of every relationship. I give to you. You give back to me. We reciprocate that with God when you give to him. He doesn't have to. He's not obligated to. But he does. He reciprocates it back to us. Maybe it's not financially. Maybe it's energy. Maybe it's rest, maybe it's peace, I don't know what it is, but you will be refreshed, and in the process, you will be fulfilled. One of the biggest questions we ask in life is this, what am I here for, right? Why do I exist? Your sense of identity and purpose on this earth will be found when you use the gifts and talents and the resources you have to give to other people. When you begin to make a difference in this world by giving and not just conquering and consuming, you will feel far more fulfilled. Line up the richest people in the world. We can bring them on this stage and ask them why they're happy. And I guarantee you, most of them will not say because of the money they have in the bank. How many people do we know, stories that we've heard of people who have millions of dollars that jump out of buildings, that kill themselves? Why? Because money does not equal happiness. You want to be happy? Give. Be generous. It doesn't have to just be your money. It shouldn't be just your money. It should be your time. It should be your talent. It should be your, with your mind. It should be with, with anything that you have more than enough of. Be generous. Because when you're generous, what you're doing is, is you're loving people. And that leads us to the third and final thing. Number one, God wants us to be rich in good deeds. Number two, God wants us to be rich in generosity. And here's number three. God wants us to be rich in relationships. Rich in relationships. God wants us to love people. Here's what it says in in, um, John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Listen to this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the gospel of John. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he's saying, look, I want you to love one another. He says, I give you a new command. I want you to love each other. And you know what's going to happen when you love each other? The world's going to know. People who don't know me, they're going to know that you're my disciples, that you're my followers by your love for one another. I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to love people. Anybody else? I just like it. (laughs) Thank you for your honesty. It's hard to love people. 
Some people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. My personality, I just don't love people. So I don't know if that applies to me. I, I just want you to know something. Your personality has nothing to do with loving someone. It has everything to do with whether or how much time you want to spend with somebody and how many people you want to be around, but it has nothing to do with whether you love somebody. And I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm just talking about in general. As a Christ follower, we have no excuse not to love people. There's nothing that we can say that we can point to that would say, I don't, I don't, I don't have to love them because I'm, I'm not an extroverted person. I, I'm, I'm, I just want to be by myself. That's fine. But you still have to love one another, especially your fellow Christ followers. I think if you can't love a Christian, who can you love? Right? If we can't, if we can't get along as people who believe in Jesus, we can't love one another, then what Jesus is saying is, is then the world's going to have a hard time seeing who I am. I have to love one another. Now, how do we do that? That means that we allow God to work through us because it is difficult to love people. It is difficult to, to sometimes get along with someone whose personality type is so different than yours that they rubbed you the wrong way. Loving one another doesn't mean that we're best friends, right? Loving one another just says, I have a mutual respect for who you are, and I care about you more than I care about the differences that we have. And I want to help you. I want to be generous to you. And we allow the Spirit of God on the inside of us who loves us unconditionally and impartially. That's how we love. We love with the love that God loves us, which is unconditional and which is impartial. And we have to extend that to every person. We extend unconditional and impartial love, not just to each other as Christ followers, but to the world, to people who don't know Jesus. I know what you did is wrong. I don't like this. I don't like that. But I love you. Why? Because that's how God loves me unconditionally and impartially. Because when it comes down to this, what we realize is is that God loves people more than anything else. You know what James says about people? Here's what it says in James 1, verse 18. He says, He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. And we, people, out of all creation, became His prized possession. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. When God created the world and he created uh, everything in it, he waited to the very last thing to create man, to create Adam, and it was the only thing that he came down and formed with his own hands. The Bible says that he formed Adam from the dust of the earth. And then you know what he did? He breathed his life into Adam. So God created Adam, and Adam was lifeless. He was a body, and God breathed his spirit, his breath into Adam. What that means is is that you and I all contain the breath and the spirit of God on the inside of us who believe in Jesus. Because God imparted himself. He was generous, freely to you and I. And humanity is God's prized possession. And we need to value what God values. And I think it comes back to this question here. How are you treating what God values most? How are you loving what God values most? Are you loving money and things more than you love people? 
Because God wants us to love people more than we love possessions. Because people are his prized possessions. What do you love more? What do you value more? And I'm not just talking about people that you've never met. It begins with your family. It begins with your kids. It begins with your friends. It begins with the people who are closest to you and then go out from there. And sometimes it's easier to love people out here than it is to love people right next to us. I found on going on missions trips, it's really easy for me to love people in Guatemala and in India and Brazil and really hard for me to come home and love people who's, who are really close to me. Am I valuing what God values? Am I being rich in relationship? Am I stepping out to meet new people, to bring them in, to form relationships, to value what God values? Because here's the thing I want you to know. If you will value what God values, if you will love people over possessions, and you will use the resources God has given you to help people, you will never lack for anything. Ever. But if you use the resources that God has given you to only benefit you, I'm not saying God's going to take your money away, but I'm saying you probably won't be very happy. Your happiness will be tied to how much you can consume and the growth of whatever it is that you're trying to build. And I have no problem with saving for retirement and any of that stuff. I'm just saying, where's the priority? But if you'll spend your life on behalf of the cause of God and help people, it may be difficult, but you'll be happy and you'll be fulfilled and you'll see the purpose that God has for you. Because when we come back to it, what we understand about God is this, is he is generous to his core. He is a giver. And all we have to read is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Guess what? You're never more like God than when you give. You're never more like God than when you give. That's why Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on this earth where moth and dust and rust and all of that can destroy it. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of that can take away from it. And we need to spend our lives, direct our energies, and direct our resources towards helping people and loving people to be rich in good deeds, to be rich in generosity, and to be rich in relationships. And may we do a little less preaching and a little more reaching. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you before we go. Well, thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I'd love to just pray over all of us this morning that, that God would, would use us and, and show us in the areas in our lives where uh, we can be a little bit more rich. None of this, as we talked about today, was ever meant to be any port of uh, condemnation or to make you feel guilty or anything like that, but just to add some context and perspective to the opportunities we've been given of living in this country and that with those opportunities comes responsibility and purpose. Responsibility and purpose. And we've been given a gift that God trusts us, has entrusted us with having more than enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every person here. We thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you're a faithful God. We thank you that we were born where we were born. Father, we don't feel guilty about it, but yet may we, may we assume the responsibility and the purpose for which you created us and set us here. We are blessed, Father, to be where we at, to proclaim who you are this morning and to have what we have. May you refocus our hearts. May we not consume everything that you give us. May we, we reach out more than we preach. And Father, may you just re 
acclimate in us, refresh in us, I pray, the love for people. And may we love people more than we love possessions. And may you bring purpose in our lives as we spend ourselves being like you in giving of our time, Father, of our talents, and of whatever it is that you show us we need to give. Bless us, Father. Bring us back safe next week. Help us to enjoy this beautiful weather. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.